Welcome to the Max Potential Habits Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferrientes, the founder of NFA Coaching. I'm a Max Potential Habits expert, and it's my mission to teach you actionable strategies that will help you be a business-building badass. Every week on the Max Potential Habits Podcast, I'll bring you tips, tools, and inspirational stories from successful business builders who will share their max potential habits that helped them create rich, thriving, kick-ass lives and businesses. Now let's get to it. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Max Potential Habits Podcast. Today, we have on a very special guest, Tiffany Carter. She's a self-made multimillionaire and top business coach who went from making 17K a year to seven figures. Tiffany speaks on stage at least 15 times a year and is inspired to show other women how to create their own great wealth, health, and worth. Most recently, she founded the Project Me program, which helps women create their most exceptional life by putting the focus back on themselves. Tiffany is a raw, real powerhouse, and I am psyched to have her on as the very first guest on the Max Potential Habits podcast. So let's welcome Tiffany onto our show today. I'm so excited to be the podcast cherry popper. That's all I have to say. I love it. Yes, I know. Me too. So uh, a little backstory for the listeners. I was on Instagram and I wish I actually, I think I could probably go back and track, but I commented on one of your posts. I was like, Ooh, I like her. This post is awesome. And I said something it had to do, I think with money. It was a money post of some sort women. Oh, I remember actually it was, you posted the dollar amount an hourly amount that it would take to get to a million dollar business. And I was like, this is so cool. And I said something about my own money story and she, Tiffany DM'd me and, and was like, I love your story, you know, let's connect. And I was like, oh yeah. So here we are today on this podcast and I want to hear about you and your journey to get where you are. So to me, it's an incredibly inspiring journey to go from 17k to being a multi-millionaire badass woman powerhouse so i want to hear your story so my story started as being a tv news broadcaster so i was hired by nbc even prior to graduating college so i was 20 years old um on nbc like on tv like not normal right i was i was always someone who was more mature for my age because i had to be since i came from a household where there was a lot of abuse and trauma so i grew up very quickly and my survival depended on being very street smart and observant and alert and really acting older than my age so in a sense that you know served me well when he, when we look at career but a lot of people think oh you're on tv you make great money you get a wardrobe allowance and all this stuff no actually most people that you see on tv unless they're people who are on like network tv right you know like people who are on the today show or something like that don't make much money even in top markets it's not what you think it is right they might make $120,000 and they took 25 years to get to that. And it's because a lot of people want to be on TV, right? So yeah. it's not as lucrative as people think. 
Um, you know, I got very familiar with being creative with Top Ramen. <laughs> um, and I went to school for, you know, I'm a very passionate communicator. I'm a naturally curious person. I love hearing everybody's unique story, whether it's a farmer or it's a preacher or it's a billionaire or it's a former president. I love hearing people's stories. But what I realized at a certain point, and this is when I transitioned to CBS and I was doing a four-hour morning show, having to wake up at three in the morning any of anyone who follows me knows I am not a morning person. So I don't even know what we'd call three in the morning. It's just not normal. And it was, it was, it was tough. It was tough. It was like, I, as much as I loved what I was doing, it was tough. And I just realized like on that time when I was driving into the station, I went, there is no freaking way I'm going to be able to make a massive impact on this world and help other people who are survivors of sexual abuse and rape, you know, which is something that happened to me, uh, sadly, very frequently in my childhood. I was abused from age 11 to 21. So even while I was on TV, I was still being abused, um, which is hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. It's like a really bad lifetime movie, but that is my story. And I knew if I really wanted to impact and help more people, that was not going to happen at $17,000 a year because it's just wasn't like I could barely take care of me. And I, I started learning the trajectory of being in the news business. And the reality is right. My next offer was in Seattle, that market, and that was for 35000 You might as well have paid me ten because now it's a big city, you know, with the tech boom and all that. It was like, you might as well have paid me. I, you know, I, I would have been on food stamps. So it was like, this, this isn't going to work. I can see where this is headed and this isn't mass impact. And I actually, I didn't even put in a two-week notice. It was almost like I had to get, I had to get out of Dodge and I got out of town and I just had so many friends who were driving corporate cars, had laptops, dry cleaning allowances that were in the sales business, specifically pharmaceutical sales. Which is and big I, bucks. Big bucks, right? Yeah. And, and I, I knew I needed big bucks to make massive impact and to have a lifestyle of luxury that I wanted for myself. You know, I knew I needed to have that. I was always been very passionate about health. You know, I was the person who like subscribed to every health magazine possible. And I was like, well, God, if so-and-so can do it, who is kind of a moron in college, like I'd be amazing at it. Right. And it was very hard to get into the pharmaceutical world. It's highly competitive because anything where there's a lot of money at the end of the line, right? It, it can be really challenging. Well, I didn't give up. I like, I'm, I was like, a, you know, I was on a mission. You tell me no, that's, that's just not, that's not, no, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, this is happening. And it became almost like a, a like, pursuit. And I, I think I interviewed, I interviewed, I think I was rejected like 27 times because they want someone who has like a sales background, not a newscaster, right? right. They want to say like, you, you know, I sold 25 copy machines a month or, you know, our cars or something. Yeah. I didn't have that. So yeah. 
I got hired by, in fact, it all happened for a reason because I got hired by one of the best in the world, Merck Pharmaceuticals, who invests in their people a minimum of $100,000 per new hire in exceptional best of the best sales and mindset training. So picture top of, I know, and I didn't really appreciate it fully at the time. Uh I didn't really get it. But I mean, picture top of the line, Tony Robbins, Zig Ziglar, you know, like I I get how expensive and how amazing that is now. I didn't get it at all. I just was like, well, they're supposed to train us. Like I didn't totally get it. So I got all this amazing sales training, climbed that corporate ladder, did the corporate grind. And at a certain point I was like, this is not fun. And there's a ceiling, you know, I became number one salesperson, then I was a manager, then I became a top manager, I kept climbing, but there was a glass ceiling. And especially in that industry, there's a glass ceiling for women, that's on a different level. Everyone has a ceiling in that industry. You know, you work for any corporation, there's a ceiling, then there's like a special ceiling for women. Yeah. And I kept hitting that special ceiling, getting passed up for promotions and you know, it just didn't feel good. And I go, and then I remember one day, like one of my like top, you know, my clients were doctors. So one of my top, you know, clients, and he said to me, and he's like, you are really busting your ass to make a lot of money for someone else. You know, why don't you do that for yourself? Never crossed my mind. And I was raised by two entrepreneurs, by the way, but they never really they, my dad what, didn't talk much, so I didn't really get much info from him. And my mom painted entrepreneurship as hell. Uh, she, my yeah. mom's, you know, my mom's a workaholic. My mom went to Harvard. Her whole, my whole thing I got from her was you have to give an arm and a leg to be successful. You have to damn near kill yourself to make a lot of money. And, and she walked that walk. I mean, I witnessed it. Like, we had, you know, we we're the second wealthiest family in the area I, I grew up in. So there was a lot of wealth, yeah. but I mean, she certainly wasn't happy doing it. So I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. I was That's like, so fascinating. It's of course, right. Because you're thinking, why would I want to do that if I'm going to have to kill myself to do it? And your mom's kind of giving you this subliminal message of like, absolutely get a job. Don't be an entrepreneur, but otherwise you're going to drive yourself crazy and work yourself to the bone. It wasn't even subliminal. She would say, she would literally don't say, own a business. Wow. And so, I mean, I was like, I, I agree. This looks horrible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is, this is crazy. No, I don't want to. So when this doctor said this to me, there's something like clicked in me. And I was, I was kind of like, it just got my brain going like, okay, well, I don't, what would I sell? Like, I don't get it. And I started talking to some of my top clients because a majority of the doctors in the specialty I was in, they are entrepreneurs. They have their own solo practice, right? Right. Or they have multiple practices. And so they, you know, a couple of these people said to me, you know, we'll sell what you're already doing. You're already helping us so much market our business, drive traffic, get more digital exposure online, blah, blah, blah. And I was doing it right as a fact that I was an employee at a pharma company and I was doing it for further building rapport, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just not getting paid for it. And I went, really? People are, you know, people like you guys would pay me for it. And I go, oh my God. So I just had to rip off that bandaid man and wow. packaged my services and had to just ask for, you know, ask for money. And 
the answer was yes. And it was like, I mean, if the first answer wasn't yes, I don't know what would have happened. I think the universe knew that the first answer had to be yes. Yeah. I want to ask you, did you, in that moment of transition, did you have a savings built up in case it didn't work out? Or were you just like, I'm going to make this work no matter what? I'm not afraid. Did you feel, uh, tell me about that process a little bit. Oh, I'm not one of those weird unicorn people who like quits everything and just is like jumps off the cliff. I'm a Virgo, like a hardcore Virgo, like everything has a plan and the plan has a plan. So I actually teach the method I did based off that experience. It's called a strat, my straddling method. Okay. So I side hustled. Gotcha. And I made sure that I did not quit my, obviously, you know, even though I kept hitting a ceiling, right? A very lucrative career in pharmaceuticals with a lot of benefits. I made sure I matched at least what my base salary was for six months in order for me to feel safe enough and that it was a smart enough move to transition out. If I, here's why I don't teach people to just like quit, even if you had whatever in the bank. I mean, if you had like millions in the bank, different story, right? But most, I mean, most people don't. So even if you're like, oh, well, I have, you know, 15,000, here's what I would say. That 15,000 can get eaten up really quickly. And what happens is money noise starts to come in and there's a desperate energy and a fear energy that can come across like, oh my God, I this client, this client better say yes, or I am fucked. And even though you try to fake it and try to keep yourself together, energetically, that desperate energy comes across and you end up not getting sales. It ends up being like a really bad uphill battle. And I've seen a lot of people do it. Yeah. I knew for myself that because I still was at my job, you know, even though I didn't want to be at that career anymore, at least I knew, hey, you know, if client... 10, you know, 10th client number 10 that I pitched to says, no, it's okay. And I really meant it energetically. It wasn't like I was kind of yeah. faking it, you know, like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm not into you, but I really am. Like it was, I really, really meant it. And I think that's also why I got so many yeses. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I, I mean, it's interesting you say that you didn't appreciate the sales training you had had, but I'm sure some of you absorbed a lot of it. So you, and you had already built rapport with all these clients. And so really it was just your courage to do the ask to shift directions and go, Hey, work with me directly instead of me selling you the pharmaceutical. Right. It was the, the ask yeah. and it was, you know, you can get quite comfortable in a career or in a certain job. It's like, even though I wasn't comfortable I liked knowing, at least there was kind in a way, right? It's not really true. There's a guarantee because they could fire you at any time. Sure. Right. And yeah. they threatened to often if you didn't make your sales number. So they could fire you at any time. But there was just like some, comf- you know, it was like some story I told myself, well, you know, at least, you know, at least I have this. So I had to like really get over that fear of when I finally like sent that two week that two week notice, it was like, oh, wow. And then I went down a path of there's no going back, which is another lie. Right. So it's like, I had to remind myself, let's just say this all went to shit and didn't work. 
Right. Well, I've already built up a name for myself and a successful track record. I could always go back. Once you know how to sell and you've been trained to sell and you have a proven track record, you'll never be without a job. Any, yeah. Anyone hires a salesperson. Yeah, it's so true. I, I love this. Okay. It's because it's bringing up for me multiple things of thinking about the, the strategic pivot where you actually were like, okay, I'm going to straddle both of these worlds. I'm going to make sure that I've got my security here and continue that flow of money so that I don't have this desperate energy going into my new business, but then I'm going to have the courage to ask. But then there is still that moment where you have to jump off the cliff and go like, I'm going for it. Like, here we go. And I love that you highlighted that, that idea of there's no going back and how that's a myth, right? Because all of the skills that you develop across your life course, you get to build upon and access at any point in time. And I think a lot of people run this story where they're like, I'm so scared to do something new because once I do it, the door's closed on the whole path that I've created. And, you know, it's just this, it's an unconscious fear strategy, right? That keeps us playing small and not wanting to take on new adventures and new risks and new challenges that are actually potentially paths that we really want to go down. Oh, and it's a, and it's just a flat out lie. It's just a lie. Yeah. And so I had to, and I didn't have a coach. There weren't, there weren't all these like amazing people like there are now, like you, you know, doing all these great things online and free content and free eBooks that, that wasn't the thing. There was like the Dr. Phil show, which I did watch every day, by the way. Which was awesome. I was obsessed. Like I even have his book still like on my shelf. I mean, that was my personal development. And even though you guys remember, I I was trained by the best of the best, all the Tony Robbins stuff, Zig Ziglar, the top sales mindset, but their focus at that time was not, and and also could be truly what the corporations paid them to teach, right? But there wasn't a ton, mindset wasn't a thing. It wasn't as big of a thing. It was power of positivity, you know, yeah. there was a lot of that stuff, yeah. but it really wasn't deep on the money mindset. So I, I had to figure this shit out on my own. So cool. and I just, yeah, I just knew, I knew that, listen, what's, what happens if I stay, if I stay, I get the same, I'm going to hit that same glass ceiling. I've already tried it. I've already right. worn it out. There's like a crack where my head kept hitting the ceiling at this point. So what do I have to lose? Well, I guess it, the only worst case scenario is it, you know, it's not always easy when you leave an industry to get back in, especially a highly competitive one. Yeah. But I knew that I could still go back. So I, so it, to me, it sounds like you had really developed confidence in your ability to sell and you had developed a network and some, some connections. And so you thought it's a risk, but it's also a calculated risk in a way. And it's, it, I think there's something really powerful about developing skill sets that are, that cross a cut a lot of different industries, right? Or cut across a lot of different industries. So it's like you say sales, you know, one thing I had no idea stepping into coaching land was that I was going to have to become a master marketer. You know, you think like, oh, I've got to develop coaching skills, but really I've got to develop coaching skills, business skills, and marketing skills because otherwise I will fail. Oh yeah. I mean, I, what I teach, you know, I'm a sales expert. What I teach people is every business sells, nonprofits are dependent on sales and marketing. They have to have galas and fundraisers and silent raffles in order to, you know, build those orphanages in Africa. Churches have fundraisers. 
your schools have bake sales. Everything comes down to sales and it's marketing. So and you could be you could be amazing, but if no one knows you exist, it's yeah. it's not going to work. Right. Which, which I love that you highlighted. It takes you having the courage to put yourself out there, right. And start asking and making masks and going, here I am. I'm going to ask you to work with me. And then it also takes the knowledge of, you could delegate, right. You could probably delegate all of your sales if you wanted to. But I think in a startup, you have to learn how to do that process yourself before you even know who to delegate the job to. Would you agree with that? I would. And, you know, now that, you know, I'm at the point to where I have, you know, I have a team, but I have only one person who assists with sales. No one will sell for your own company better than yourself. So true. Why would you say that is? It's, it's your baby. It's your business. It's your brand. Now I'm talking about a personal brand. You know, obviously when we look at these giant corporations, right, where it's not as personal, but when you're talking about a personal brand, I mean, Project Me with Tiffany Card, it's a personal brand. No one is going to be able to sell, promote, and market better than Tiffany Carter, right? Yeah. They're just absolutely. not. Even someone who I teach, you know, teach to do it and they, I have them sit in my office with me and absorb and listen and listen and listen and we role play to nauseam and yeah. it's still not it's still not going to be, you know, me yeah, or you, you know, for your own business. So I still do when it comes to high level stuff, I still do a hundred percent of my own sales. Okay. That, that's great to know. I think for the listeners who, you know, a lot of people that follow me are business builders and entrepreneurs and coaches. And in that process of many people are doing a side hustle. Some people ask about stepping out right away. Like, do I just need to cut off because I don't know how to straddle two worlds at once, or I'm not willing to straddle two worlds at once. And I tell people the same thing, like, do not cut off your source of income because exactly you'll have a desperation and a very city based mentality. And then people can feel that they run away. And then you, you have a, you know, quote unquote failure, which is okay, because I think we learn from our failures, but set yourself up for success. So take the time to go, okay, wait, how, what's the best strategic move for me to shift into a new business. And then I think, you, you know, you're highlighting something I think is so important that I've actually learned to really love is marketing and sales strategy. And part of it is that I look at sales as like, it, selling is caring no, and no one's going to care about my mission as much as I do. And my mission is to help other people, which means that if I don't sell them what I have, I actually don't care about them because I know what I have will help them thrive. So for me, sales is easy in that way, but people really struggle with it. You oh yeah. I'm, even the word sales, like one of the things I do when I coach people is exercise, like similar to what you do around money, right? Is what comes up when I, when I say sales or you need to sell and and wow, a lot of heavy stuff comes up and okay, now let's replace it with influencing, promoting, yeah. sharing. <laughs> and like, then there's not as much of a resistance. There's That's just, so it's true. just, it's just that word. And here's the thing. It's like, no one is gonna, you could be amazing and you're doing a disservice to the people that you want to help if they don't know you exist. So you have to market yourself for them to know you exist. Imagine yeah. if like for, I mean, you can even look at like a TV show, right? Oprah before she was Oprah. If they didn't market Oprah, she wouldn't be Oprah who she is today. She'd be in, you know, 
another random woman with a talk show. Yeah, it's it's funny. I always think about best-selling authors. Like best-selling is in the title. <laughs> like, you know, we think like, oh, it's a great book. Well, how did everyone learn about that book? Because I guarantee you, there are some incredible pieces of work out there that nobody knows about because people don't aren't either. They're scared of sell the selling part. They don't know how to do it. They don't know who to access to help them do it. But it's like you've got to learn. It, it's yeah, we're so charged about selling. It's fascinating to me. Well, it's funny you mentioned that about the book. My fiance's barber, he went and got his haircut finally after 800 months. Who can relate? Um, anyway, and so <laughs> he came home and he goes, I got a book for you. And this is a man who like has an attention span of a gnat. So he doesn't read. And I was like, I go, okay. And I looked at the book and I go, there's like a Muslim man on the front. I'm like, this is getting more interesting. Like what's going on? And he said that his barber wrote a book and nice. I go, interesting. And I was just intrigued because that seems so random to me. And I guess he, how he went from being a Muslim to a Christian. That's kind of an interesting story. Oh wow! So yeah. I just started reading a few pages. This guy's an incredible writer. Incredible. I mean, you know, to hook me in right away like that. I was, I was really impressed. And it's like, I guarantee you that book will never be on a shelf and be in very few hands because he doesn't, like you said, know how to market, understand the importance of it, or maybe even is resistant. Haven't you heard a lot of people go, oh, I don't like, I don't sell. Like, because yeah. you can't really be someone who cares about people and sell at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always that tie to like, I don't want to be the sleazy salesperson, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to be pushy. Right. I mean, I, I hear this. I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to be pushy if I know that that is what is going to get the attention of the women that, that need to hear what I have to teach and say, and my story, like I'm willing to do it, but you have to get to a point and I'm assuming we can swear on your show Absolutely. and I probably already have, but you have to get to a point of fuck it is what I say where yeah. you're just like, just yeah. fuck it. Yeah. And, and I love it when people get to that point finally, because yeah. that's where the shift really occurs. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I think it's that point where you go, I, I'm going to attract the people I attract based on being authentically me. And if authentically me goes, here's what I have to offer. And I'm on a mission to provide this service because I know it helps people. And, you know, if you're not aligned with me, see you later. You know, like you, you, they're not supposed to be in your community if that's where they're at, you know? So it's a very, yeah, I love that confidence attitude of, you know, like you, I call it the no fucking around attitude, right? It's like no fucking around approach to life where you just go like, fuck it. Here I am here. Come work with me if you want to. And I'm not scared to share what I have with you. And I have to remind myself, I still have days and I have 11 years of experience as an entrepreneur and a lot of success and a lot of mistakes I've learned from. And I still have those days and I have to give myself the talk and say, remind yeah. myself, you know what, Tiffany, like, fuck it. You know, especially, you know, yeah. when you, when you start accumulating massive wealth, what happens is, is your bills get higher, <laughs> sure. your lifestyle gets bigger and you tend to take 
um, bigger risks, meaning there's more skin in the game. So instead of investing in like a $200 course, right, maybe you're investing in a, you know, a $50,000 um, shared, you know, rental apartment building or, you know what I mean? You're, yeah. you're, you just are, you're playing with more money and therefore, you know, the stakes are higher which brings yeah. up more shit. And so I just have to talk to myself like, you know what? It's just money. And it's, if this doesn't work, at least I experimented and I went out there versus playing small. You know, I have to do the whole talk to myself still. I love it. Wow. Okay. So tell me, I want to hear one of the biggest challenges you feel like you've overcome in business land and getting to where you are today. Oh God, there's so many. Um, I would say, and it is tied, it is tied to self-worth. It's trusting. It is blind faith trust. I have a podcast episode about my, I think it's like my biggest nightmare, my biggest nightmare entrepreneurial stories or something. I did it on Halloween in 2018, but um, it is that I would have this blind faith. I am someone who is just, I'm just a really blunt, honest person. I mean, I'm compassionate. You know, I believe truth without compassion is cruelty, but I'm straight up. And if I don't want to answer a question, I just, I won't answer it. So therefore, because I'm, I'm cut like that, I assume, or I did assume, right, that if someone is looking me dead in the eyes and not being like, you know, shifty, shady, or weird, and they're looking me dead in the eyes, and I ask them a question that they're answered, they're telling me the truth. I took it at face value, okay? And I thought, that's what a good person does. A good person takes someone else at face value unless they exhibit some very obvious signs of being, you know, a liar or a thief or whatever. And I took a lot of people at face value, and I got screwed out of, I, I can't even, I mean, tons and tons of money. Um, and not just money. I got my heart hurt because I invested a lot in employees. I've had people steal from me, charge things on the corporate credit card, you know, things that I can't get back, you know, like lots of meals, alcohol. I mean, and people who were like my, obviously I trusted them. They had my, they had a company credit card. Yeah. And yeah. wow. Those are big lessons to learn. Yeah. What I, what I learned is desperate people do desperate things. Someone can be trustworthy for even years and then they come up on circumstances. Maybe they got addicted to gambling. Maybe they have an alcohol problem. Maybe they have a problem in their marriage or they made a bad investment. Desperate people do desperate things. It doesn't mean they're necessarily a bad person. So what I learned from that is there, there is no blind faith. And it's, and it, that doesn't mean I'm jaded, but I check in. So I don't just like not check my credit card statements. Mm -hmm. I do spot checks on everyone that works for me. I make sure I know enough. I might not be an expert in what I hire them to do, but I know enough that they can't bullshit me. Mm -hmm. And if I don't think I, I could know enough, um, then I elicit, you know, I bring in someone who is a friend of mine who does know enough who could, who kind of goes, Oh my God, this is a joke. This would take five minutes and they're wanting to charge you a thousand dollars. 
Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I want to highlight for everyone who's listening, something that's such a really important thing to do is when you think you might have a blind spot, ask someone close to you who has more objectivity to give you feedback. You know, this could be like in dating world, someone you're dating. It could be in a new business venture. It could be in someone you're going to hire. It could be a new product you think is so sexy and amazing, but you need to ask and do your market research, right? So it's like highlighting that point of the, the blind spot awareness through the people that are outside of you and your infatuation with the potential of what they can help you do or create. Right. Right. And it's like, that's where having your own coach is so important. Yes. Uh, because a therapist isn't, they might do it for relationships, but like for business stuff or whatever, yeah. you really need a coach because it's, and it's good to have also friends too, but a coach is someone who, you know, you are paying for them to have your best interested heart and have their eyes and detailed on all your stuff. Love I like it. that. I like that exchange, right? Yes. It's not yes. like, you know, my friends throwing me a bone and an hour of their time over a coffee. Like they, yeah. they might mean well, but they're not going to take it as seriously as someone who you engage with monetarily, in my opinion. Yeah. But it's yeah. like, yeah, looking at, those blind spots. And I remember my coach said to me, and this is when I was like, I call it stuck at six figures. I was stuck at six figures. I hit my own glass ceiling, my self-imposed glass ceiling yeah, because of my own self-worth stuff. And I kept hitting it and hitting it. I finally hired a coach and within like a year I was at seven figures. And one of the thing he, things he said to me is, Tiffany, you get mesmerized by word of mouth. And I go, what the hell does that mean? He's old school. He's, he's 72. He's worth a hundred okay. million dollars. Wow. Um, I like that old school approach. I'm from Chicago. I'm from like, I'm more of that kind of person. I like yeah. that. And, and I go, what does that mean? And he goes, you get very easily razzle dazzled, but you get easily sold is basically what he was saying. Wow. Because you're a salesperson who <laughs> gets easily sold. God, and I went, brilliant really? And he, and you know, at the time I was on like guy number 512 uh -huh. and he's like, and you do it in your personal life too. And I went, I didn't see the business part cause I didn't want to see it. Cause that I kind of wasn't made me embarrassed. Yeah. But like when he mentioned like my personal life, that's kind of undeniable. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, you know, if a guy, you know, sent the roses and the cards and said yeah. all the right things, I was like, he's amazing and he can the do no wrong. <laughs> you know, like I yeah. would really fall for it. And I, yeah. I, I didn't see it. And that was a big shift for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I, I think about it as infatuation. Like whenever we're infatuated with something, we have blind spots because we're seeing more benefits than drawbacks and it's impossible for us to make an objective poised decision. And so I love that. And that I think, you know, good coaches are brilliant at raising and pointing out the blind spots and, you know, it's one of their primary jobs, I think. That's awesome. I love that. Um, uh, you're making me, I want to have you back to interview you multiple times because now you're bringing up codependency in my mind. You know, I go, that's a codependent trait. Oh yeah. yeah. And I am, I mean, yeah. I am in codependence, in codependent recovery. I mean, because yeah. of being, you know, abused in my childhood and abused yeah. for so long, right. I for sure I'm a codependent. I mean, yeah. and you're never not a codependent. You just have it managed. So I, you know, I manage it extremely well now and I'm aware, yeah. but oh yeah. I mean, that is a trait of codependence to get 
razzle dazzled by yeah. people's words and their word and, uh, and not pay attention to the fact their actions don't match their yes, words. Yes, yes. I love that. Oh, so much wisdom there, everyone. You know, you and I didn't get to talk about this earlier, but uh, pre-show, but uh, I, my entry into personal growth and development world was through a codependency book called Codependency for Dummies by Darlene. Oh my Lester. God, that's amazing. And I, when I read it, I was like, this book was written for me. You know, it was just, it just raised so much clarity in why I was the way that I was. And it was, I would have paid a million dollars for that book. You know, it was like so transformational in the way that I saw myself in the world and how I conducted myself in relationships. And that was the one of the things I used to do too, you know, was just constantly seeing everyone else as, as superior to me, which made me trust them. You know, I'm like, oh, they're better than me. So they know better than me. They're better than me in every way. So they must have all the answers and everything they say. I took it face value. It's pretty wild. Oh yeah. It, yeah. That's, it's, da yeah. it's dangerous operating it like that. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to ask you if you had to say your top three habits that have gotten you where you want to go, you know, this is Max Potential Habits Podcast. And I want to always bring to the listeners what you think have been the primary consistent habits or ones that you've had to overcome and shift to get to where you are today. The biggest habit I've had to overcome and shift is like a lot of codependents do, I put everyone and everything ahead of myself. Mm, so work, people, places, things, you name it. And then I was left just a disaster. So self-care is a priority from when I wake up in the morning. Self-care first, self-care above money, self-care above business. It's rare. Sometimes there is a business type emergency or a, you know, a personal emergency where that's a, that's an exception, but it's self-care first. It's Tiffany first, me first. Hence why my brand is project me with Tiffany Carter. Cause I want, that is, that's one of the biggest shifts is self-care first is, and then everything I do goes through the lens of is this nurturing? Is this something nurturing for me? Will I enjoy this? Is this something that's good for me? I already know what I do is in for the greater good of all. I need to make sure it's in the greater good of me. I so love it. That that's is, that's my main, important. main one. Okay. Um, the second one I would say that is for sure unique, but not unique among multimillionaires and billionaires. And I can say that because that's primarily, you know, who I socialize with because that's what happens you know when you start going to different levels it's not like I wouldn't socialize with someone who's not at that level but you just end up attracting those people and yeah. something that's common is we allow ourselves free time and I for me I call it free thinking time so every single day some days it's five minutes some days it's two hours where I don't have to think about anything I can sit on a couch stare out the window I could take a walk uh, you know, you know, guys, you guys know, like you, we get our best ideas, like in the shower, you know, a lot of people say that, right. There's a yeah. reason, right. There's actual medical reason, you know, it, our cortisol lowers. And so we're more calm. We're also not distracted by technology and other things. And we're, we're able just to focus. We're not really even paying attention because it's so autopilot to wash our hair. It's not like much thoughts involved. And this is where a lot of people get their best ideas. Well, there's a reason for it. So I create that space for myself every single day. And that's where I get my best 
ideas for my business and, and come up with the best solutions to issues that are going on. Awesome. I love that. Okay. And then the third one um, that I would say, cause I'm giving you my top three yeah. is goal planning. Um, so one mistake I used to make is I was the person, like I've mentioned, hardcore Virgo. I'd put like 80 things on my to-do list. Like it would be insane. Like everything on my to-do list. And then I'd feel really defeated at the end of the day because I maybe only did 10. And it was like, well, I'm a piece of shit. Like I'm lazy. You know, it, it was a bad, it was a bad setup. Um, cause I was just putting everything on the list. So now what I do is very, very focused goal planning. I do it in 90 day increments. So I do it quarter by quarter and I focus on a big goal, a mid-sized goal and a kind of like, almost like I call it like a fun, a fun goal. Maybe it's like planning a trip. Okay. Like, like a fun goal. And then I base my daily activities on what I'm doing to achieve those goals. So all the other stuff can keep getting filtered out. It's not that important. And I don't, I don't put a bunch of stuff on my to-do list anymore. Believe me, it could be 80 pages long, Yeah. but it doesn't ever feel good to at the end of the day. I would rather have three things and cross off those three things. Right. And then add to it. Right. It's yeah. like, so I don't set myself up. It's kind of like when people go, I'm going to go on a diet and I'm going to lose all this weight and I'm not, I'm going to go keto and I'm not going to eat any carbs or sugar. Why was yeah. that a setup? Cause that's like, yeah. you know, right. that's not sustainable. Yeah. Going from zero to a hundred overnight. Right. It's yeah. just not yeah. sustainable. So that's well, I want to ask your philosophy about the 90 day uh, plan. I like that structure. Tell me why you chose that. Um, 90 days. Cause in the business world, I'm sure a lot of you guys listening know, like in business, right. And in the stock market, you know, if you're an investor, right. You're always looking at quarterly reports, you know, and when I was in, you know, the pharmaceutical world and sales, everything was quarterly numbers. It's a really good way to assess your goals in business and in life, because guess what guys, you're not going to all of a sudden in one month move a mountain, right? So going based on per month, even if you're doing something for fitness or health, you're not going to, you're not going to see real major results yet, right? It's what's really fair to look at is 90 days. That's a really fair assessment. There's enough things that have happened in the in the earth and the universe and time, you can check in with your consistency. That's where you can really see true, true progress when you're aiming for bigger things, right? If it's something that's small, like I said, like planning a trip or something like that, yeah, that doesn't take 90 days, right? Right. But right. when you're when you're trying to when you're going after big things, which I think most most people are who are listening, right? Yeah. Those big, really big things really, really don't happen in 30 days unless you have, you know, some crazy media opportunity that occurred. Right. right? You have, you have to push as hard as you can. Right. Right. Yeah. And so that's where, that's where I focus on the quarterly. Uh, quarterly I love thing. it. That's brilliant. I think that's great. I think, I think sometimes people, I did, I taught a workshop last night and it was fascinating. I forget people still don't even write their goals. So the fact that you write your goals, know your goals and do a 90 day strategic plan is 
gold for the audience who's listening. Listen to what we're saying. Tiffany is a multimillionaire, very successful businesswoman, knows what she's doing, and these are her top three habits. So just right there, awesome takeaways. It's been amazing to have you on. I'm so glad to know you, and I would love to have you back at some point. I want to have a codependency chat with you. Oh, we have to do a codependency episode. (laughs) My bookshelf is filled with codependency books. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I think it's, you know, I, I, and guys, I read it. Um, it's often talked about as being not nice and that guys have the same issue, people pleasers and stuff like that. And I always look at that as a core of codependency. So oh, you know, God, yes. I've read so much about it. So we're going to, we'll do another show. I'll have you back. Sounds great. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we will be back next week. Bye everyone. Bye. Haha, that was awesome. And being new to podcast interviews, I realized that I didn't share Tiffany's contact info, which will all be in the show notes. But real quick, you can find her on Instagram at project me underscore with underscore Tiffany, T-I-F-F-A-N-Y. She's also on Facebook with the same handle. And you can go to her website to subscribe to her podcast, which is the Project Me with Tiffany Carter podcast. It's awesome. Make sure you listen. Find her online. She has all kinds of cool stuff. She has a free Project Me Pocket Guide, Five Steps to Creating Financial Freedom, available on her website, which is at www.projectmewithtiffany.com. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and I'll be back again with another Max Potential Habits podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you're liking this podcast, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. This will help me help more people max their potential to thrive. If you want to be a part of the Max Potential Habits community, go to nfacoaching.com where you can get my free drive roadmap that will teach you the six steps I took to go from food stamps to six figures in only three years. And you can also find out how to join my live weekly online training that happens every Monday with other NFA Max Potential Habits business builders who are driven to succeed. Until next time, I hope you have a NFA day where you thrive and feel alive.